Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome into Taking You to School, formerly the only college basketball coach on the RF Sports Radio Network. We've, you know, we've mixed in, we're we're expanding, we're doing a little NBA, a little NBA draft. I'm your host, Joe Perello of SweetSports.com, that's S-U-I-T-E, Sports.com. I'm joined, as always, by my two buddies. Well, you know, let's say my panel of experts, because, uh, you know, let's lend a little credibility to the show here. I've got two, two friends that are pretty major NBA bloggers here. First of all, joining me, our editor-in-chief, our fearless leader from SweetSports.com. He's also contributed to the ESPN True Hoop Network, currently blogging for Knicker Blogger, which, as you might expect, is a blog about the Knicks. He's also contributed at BuzzFeed, Mr. Jeremy Conlon. Jeremy, how are you doing this afternoon slash evening? I am doing fantastic and excited to talk about Greg Oden. Greg, I, Greg Oden is always really fun to talk about. We're going to have a... We're going to spend some extensive time talking about – we're probably going to spend more time talking about him than he has spent on the court in the last few years. So that's going to be a good time. Uh, also joining us from roundballdaily.com, one of the top hoops squads on the net, Mr. Kells Dayton. Kells, how are you doing? Doing good, Joe. Great introduction as always. I loved it. Major NBA yeah. blogger. I really love the title. Hey. Yeah, it, I love the title of blogger. It's really funny. It's one of those things where, you know, you can throw it out. You can put it on your Twitter handle. You can tell people, oh, I'm a blogger. But if you ever tell your parents that, it's like, oh. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, but moving on from that, obviously we talked about Greg Oden. That's kind of where I want to start tonight uh, or today. I always have trouble with this this time of the day. Do we call it tonight? Do we call it today? Uh, well, this twilight, I want to start with Greg Oden. And, obviously, the Miami Heat signed him. Uh, pretty good article on Grantland uh, by by Titus, Mark Titus, uh, club, of Club Trillion fame. Uh, he obviously played AAU with Greg Oden and played with him at Ohio State, where he was a bench warmer, and Oden was an All-American that helped lead them to the title game. Uh, basically about how Greg Oden has waffled back and forth so much on where he was going to sign. Thought he was going to sign with Memphis so he could play with Mike Connolly again. Then talked about wanting to sign with the Cavaliers so he could live in Ohio again. And now, obviously, he's with Miami, two-time defending champs that think he's kind of the piece that, when if healthy, can take them from a championship team that, that was dominant during the regular season to a team that can dominate in the postseason and be one of the great teams of all time if they if they weren't that already. Uh, Kels, I, I want to start with you. Greg Oden, you look at the efficiency numbers, he's awesome when healthy, and that's a huge caveat with this guy. He hasn't really been healthy since college, and even then he was playing with a broken wrist, if anyone remembers. He was playing with a broken wrist on his shooting hand, had to shoot free throws left-handed. So the guy just really hasn't been healthy since he was, you know, an awesome phenom in Indiana. Uh, how does, you know, what can the Heat realistically expect from this guy? Yeah, I mean, that's really the thing, Joe. I have no idea. And uh, 
I think, you know, I think it was really interesting because I was kind of shocked by the uh, efficiency numbers. I didn't realize he was that efficient in the games that he actually did play in. I think he was like number eight, uh, Mark Titus said, out of all the players in whatever year that that was that he was looking at it. But um, yeah. I think if you come back and he actually is healthy, which, like, we haven't seen a healthy Greg Oden, like you said, since his college days, really. And I remember mm-hmm. when he first got into the NBA and he really showed a lot of prowess. I remember that summer league. Uh, they also had a video of him in that Titus article blocking shots. He looked great, really. And, uh, like, when he – obviously, he's not going to be the same player as he was after all those injuries. But I think he's got, obviously, the size and the talent and the skills. When he's healthy, he might be able to contribute to that Heat team. And if he can possibly stay healthy for the whole season, maybe they should, should just start him in, like, April or May so that he does yeah. actually stay healthy throughout the playoffs. But um, if he could stay healthy – and he could provide a big lift for them because I think he has the talent to do it, but obviously just staying on the court's been a huge problem. Yeah, that's and that's really been the only question with him. I mean, like uh, I hate to keep referring back to this Titus piece, but I, I love Mark Titus. I think he's hilarious, uh, and he talks about how he's the most recruited big man since Lou Alcindor, who you know obviously you know who Lou Alcindor went on to become. Uh, it, it's just remarkable to me. I remember when him and Conley went to Ohio State how much of a phenom class that was. They had a couple other guys. I think Daquan Cook was in that class, a couple other guys that went on to be, you know, good college players and not so good NBA players. But, man, was Greg Oden just dominant. The guy was playing without his shooting hand, and he was he was a double-double machine, uh, you know, against zone defenses. He was facing constant double teams in the Big Ten, a pretty good defensive conference. He was, he was unbelievable. And you look at the efficiency numbers, per 36, not even, you know, shooting percentage. Per 36, he was scoring 16 points and grabbing 12 boards, things along those lines. Jeremy, I know, you know, I know you're a fan of the Heat and the way that they play. How much does Odin, first of all, if he's healthy, does he just totally change the dynamic of this team uh, and, and kind of take them from a small ball team where, where they're at their best with skill and speed and shooting? And does he make them a legitimate, complete, historically good team? Uh, no, because I think the – I think the fact that he signed with Miami is indicative of his own sense of how healthy he can be. Mm-hmm. And he signed with Miami because he knows that, that he's not going to be responsible for much and yeah. that he would only need to contribute 10 to 15 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the most that they would realistically ask him to do. You know, like, if he yeah. was going to sign, like, there was rumors that he might sign with New Orleans. Um, or Cleveland or something like that, a team where he would probably get a lot more minutes. And it seems like he went to the Heat not because they're a great fit for him basketball-wise, but because he doesn't want to be responsible for playing 25 minutes a night, 30 minutes a night, starting, doing all of those things. He wants to – I mean, obviously this is me just you know taking inferences from – from the information yeah, this is had. this is you psychoanalyzing Greg Oden, but uh, but I like yeah, it. Keep it, going. <laughs> it. It doesn't seem like he wants to be a central piece for a team. He wants to be mm-hmm. on the periphery, um, and for Miami, that that really worked out because they don't need him to do that much. They're already yeah. the best team in the league. Um, you know, he can play with Bosch. You know, that's that's a, like they, they used to play Joel Anthony with Bosch, and that actually worked on offense, and Joel Anthony can't catch the ball. Like, Odin yeah. can actually catch and finish around the rim. That's, that's something he'll give them on offense. Uh, but I, I think, I mean, he's a great defensive player when he's healthy, and I think that's where the 
the upside is from Miami. Like last year against Hibbert in the Eastern Finals, um, they really didn't have anybody that had the size that could deal with him. And he ended up averaging, I think it was like a 22-10 on 56% shooting and averaged like five offensive rebounds a game. I, like I'm, I'm trying to remember the numbers off the top of my head. I think it's around there. Um, but Odin definitely has the size and the strength that Chris Bosh doesn't have, that Udonis Haslam doesn't have, that uh, Joel Anthony doesn't have. Like Those are the guys that were dealing with Everett last year, and that was a problem. And now Odin can step in, and, and you know if he's healthy for that matchup, you know, he can play 15 minutes a game, you know, like an eight-minute stretch in each half where he can slow down Hibbert to the point where it's not a total mismatch anymore. And, you know, that might go from like a seven-game series this year to a, a five-game easy series next year. Like, that's the level of impact he can have. Um, but, I mean, you know, when you look at the numbers, like you mentioned them earlier, um, you know, he, he probably was pretty healthy in 2009 and 2010 when he was playing. Like, like it seemed like he had, he had a season-ending injury in 2010. That's why he um, that's why he didn't play anymore. It's not like he had a wear and tear injury that was affecting him while he was playing. So, you, mm-hmm. like you can look at his numbers and sort of extrapolate what he's going to be. And he's a very productive player. Like he shoots around 60% from the floor. Um, a great offensive rebounder, which is another area that Miami struggled in last year. He's a great shot blocker. He, he fouls everybody that moves. That's really the only downside for him on defense. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're only playing in 15 minutes a game, the fouls don't really matter. Yeah. No, that, that's true. And, you know, he's another big body to match up with. Because, you know, we've always heard the thing that can, you know, beat the Heat. The Heat are so good defensively and they're so quick and they cover so much ground, but they don't have that guy that can just kind of lock down the post and, and, and kind of knock these other big guys off the block. Uh, especially a guy like Roy Hibbert, who, like you mentioned, have enjoyed such a great series against the Heat after, you know, a, a good season, certainly. But, a, you know, against the Heat, he was like the best center in basketball, and maybe he will take that next step and become that. But uh, until that point, you know, Roy Hibbert was kind of a guy that we, we thought was good and was still growing as a player. Um, other thing uh, that I wanted to touch on with him, we mentioned, you know, like what can they realistically expect from him? You think it's an indication that maybe he's not so healthy, he's not ready to go somewhere and be the man. Uh, but even if he's not healthy, you said that it would take it from a seven-game series to a five-game series against Indiana. So that's a pretty darn big impact. We don't know how healthy he is, but does this uh, – you know, you never want to say shoo-in. Does this make the Heat even more of a prohibitive favorite next year, or is it just one of those things that they're taking a gamble on? Well, I think it's a gamble, but it's a pretty low-risk gamble. Um I mean, I, I don't think they would have signed him if there were serious questions about whether he could actually get on the floor. Like, I don't think that would have happened. I think they're pretty confident that he can play, you know, you know, 700 minutes over the course of the season and however they want to stretch that out. Like, that, that's a pretty reasonable expectation for them. Um, and if those 700 minutes are all coming in the playoffs, then that – and he's producing at the level that he did – in Portland for those two seasons. Um, I think that makes them a very prohibitive favorite just because um, like we've seen the level of talent that he has. We saw it in college and we saw it in like, it's only, it's only 82 games that he's played over two seasons, but he was very good when he played. Um, And if, if he can only do that for 20 minutes a game in the playoffs, then so be it. But that's going to be 20 minutes that would have been going to, 
Udonis Haslam or Birdman Anderson or, you know, some other not that great player, whereas Odin is a guy that can be a, a true difference maker on both ends. All right. Well, first of all, I, I, I got to take exception when you say the Birdman isn't a great player. He's the only Heat uh, shirt I currently own is the Birdman. But, you know, I'm going to say it's a matter of opinion. Uh, Kels, he, he mentioned a couple of these other guys, you know, and he didn't even throw Joel Anthony in there because I doubt he's going to be figuring into much for the Heat in the foreseeable future. Uh, with Odin in tow, you know, how much easier does that make life on guys like he mentioned, Udonis Haslam, who – you know, he's a power forward, but at times he had to cover centers and, and do different things like that. Just how nice of a, a luxury is it to have a guy like Odin with that kind of size? And, you know, we talk about his size and his strength, but the guy's got a pretty good skill set, too, on, on both ends of the floor. Yeah, he really does. And I think, like, we're basically talking about him like he's going to be healthy. And I, that's, like, the thing is, like, I really don't think he's actually going to stay healthy for the year. Yeah. But I, if it's, like, in this fantasy world that he actually does – I think it could make a really big impact as far as their lineups and their matchup and everything. But I don't think he takes them from, I know Jeremy said, seven games to a five-game series against Indiana. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure he makes that much of a difference. I think mm-hmm. he maybe makes, you know, maybe one game he wins them in the playoffs. I could see him being annoying and, like, making a play at the end of the game and just winning them a game that maybe they shouldn't have won or something like that where he could have kind of an <laughs> impact, kind of like a, a Ray Allen or somebody did. Yeah. Uh, in this in the playoffs, maybe not that big where he actually wins them the championship, but that yeah. kind of an impact where he wins them a game that they shouldn't have won. Um, and I think matchup-wise, obviously, it changes some things around, like you said, with uh, Udonis Haslam, but I'm not really sure that he's going to be, like, this huge free agent signing that we're all going to look back on this year and be like, oh, like, thank God that he got Greg Oden or they wouldn't have won the championship. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, yes, this is a two-time championship, two-time defending champion team that, you know, to bring in a guy that hasn't played in a couple of years, um, to think that he'd be the difference between them winning another championship, I, uh, I'm not so sure that's that's the thinking. Uh, you mentioned one thing is that he might make a play down the stretch that wins them a game that maybe they shouldn't have won. But he won a couple of those, whether it was against the Pacers uh, in game one or against the Spurs in game six. Uh, Jeremy, I'll go back to you. They were the best team in basketball last year, but – it was a lot closer than it was the year before, and now you've got the Bulls coming back better with Derrick Rose. You've got the Pacers that you can only assume are, are going to grow up a little more. Obviously, they had Scola, which you know is, is a nice addition. Are the Heat making this move because they feel like people are nipping at their heels a little bit? I think Roy Hibbert had a lot to do with it. I think mm-hmm. if, if they, you know, if, if the 2013 series was like the 2012 series where they won in six games and did it without Chris Bosh. Like, if it was that level of, you know, a definitive win for them, I don't think they make this move. But I think the fact that Hibbert was such a problem for them, I think Mm -hmm. think they actually consciously thought we need to, you know, not we don't don't need to get bigger, but we need to get one guy with size that can deal Mm -hmm. with Hibbert on his own. I don't think they're going to make a conscious effort to play bigger more often. I just think they wanted Odin or someone of Odin's caliber in terms of value, free agent, whatever. Um, They wanted someone to come in that they could spell their other big men for, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game, just just specifically for Hibbert or Dwight Howard in the finals, if that comes up, something like that. Okay. And that's fair enough. Uh, Kel's back to you. Uh, 
you know, it's a signing that, like Jeremy mentioned, doesn't have a whole lot of risk, but it is a guy that hasn't been able to stay, help, stay healthy. Uh, in your eyes, how vulnerable are the Heat, and, and do you think do you think they feel vulnerable at this point after uh, two pretty taxing series toward the end? Yeah, I mean, I think they should feel vulnerable. I mean, they easily could have lost either series against Indiana or San Antonio. So I think, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the impact of another year of Ray Allen what he does next mm-hmm. year, I think, you know, some of the other guys, the bench guys, uh, can, you know, Mario Chalmers take the next step and uh, continue to play as well as he has in the playoffs. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think the Pacers are better than they were. Uh, we talked about mm-hmm. that on a previous show, with, obviously, with Luis Scola. And um, I think the Bulls is going to be interesting to see. I think for them to surpass Miami, they probably have to make another move. I don't think they're quite uh, talented enough right now to do it, but they're obviously a team that's waiting there, and we haven't seen them, uh, speaking of health, be completely healthy with, without Derrick yeah. Rose, obviously. So I think Miami should be nervous about a three-peat. I definitely don't think it's uh, a lock right now by any stretch of the imagination, but I think uh, they're the favorite, obviously, right now, and you got to give them their due as the defending champs. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, the East is going to be interesting because, you know, those two teams you mentioned, the Bulls and the Pacers, we, we're going to assume that the Heat would probably have to beat those two teams in the finals, but you know the semi or the conference finals, but the conference semis aren't going to be a cakewalk with how you know if we assume what Brooklyn has done pans out, and if we assume the Knicks are going to be back and they don't totally fall apart, which actually I don't know if I want to assume that, but but, but they've certainly got talent too. So it, it's not going to be a cakewalk in the East, and the Heat did look really vulnerable down the stretch. Uh, they don't play the traditional lineup that, that you want to have. They play a little smaller, a little more skilled, a little more athletic. And, you know, when a guy like Wade isn't totally healthy, they can't fully maximize that athleticism. So it's very interesting for them. Uh, we'll move off the heat because we spent, what, almost 20 minutes of the show talking about them, and there are uh, a couple other teams in the league. Uh, I want to talk about the big trade that took place, and I don't know if big is really the right word for it, but the great Brandon Swap of 2013, uh, Brandon Jennings uh, heading to the Detroit Pistons in exchange for Brandon Knight, and there were other parts moving around there, but I don't really want to get into those right now. Uh, I've only followed Brandon Knight because he went to my fiance's high school and they beat our high school back, you know, in the day. So I hold a little grudge against the guy. So I'm always happy to see him get dunked on, which happens quite frequently. And I'm happy to see him get traded from, uh, I mean, if there was a place, you figure every city is a move up from Detroit, but then they send him to Milwaukee. I mean, that's just rough on the guy. Uh, but, but Kels, I want to start with you. I've, I've already read Jeremy's thoughts on this. So I want to start with you. Uh, you know, wh- what do you make of this trade, and, and does this kind of push Detroit uh, into the point where they can not only make the playoffs, but actually have a puncher's chance in the playoffs in the East? Yeah, I think it does, Joe. I think the big thing for Detroit is uh, Josh Smith. Is he going to be able to play at the three, or are they yeah. going to put him at four? I think the front line is a big uh, matchup, because if you put Josh Smith at the three, he could end up taking, like, ridiculous three-pointers, and uh, that's yeah. not really what you want him to do. When he's in there, you want him to play more of a power forward style. So I think he's really the key to how far they go. And I think also, you know, Brandon Jennings being kind of a shoot-first point guard and not really mm-hmm. being a, a pass-first guy, I think with the guys he has on his team, when you take a look at uh, Drummond and um, Monroe, who are good rebounders, those yeah. guys can come up with offensive rebounds. I think it, it doesn't, like, it's a good fit maybe for Brandon Jennings to be mm-hmm. on a team with big guys who can rebound like that. And uh, they, although I do think maybe it's kind of an awkward mix, they probably need another facilitator in there, a guy who can keep everybody happy. 
with the ball. I think, you know, they had made a move up. I certainly think they're going to make the playoffs next season. And I think being a, probably a lower echelon team in that Eastern Conference, uh, they could make some noise and maybe uh, make a run at, let's say, it's a Nets-Pistons series in round one. I think it could definitely be interesting uh, in round one there. So I think they definitely have taken a step up and uh, definitely a positive thing for them. Yeah, and you look at uh, the Pistons, and you mentioned them putting Josh Smith out at the three, and they'd kind of be the anti-Heat where the Heat want to play a little smaller and up and down, and, and they want to, you know, press you defensively and get up on you and force turnovers uh, and get running. The Pistons would – I mean, they'd have a huge guy, a small forward that is also very, very skilled, but you worry about his shot selection, and Brandon Jennings, one of the things you worry about is his shot selection. Uh Jeremy wrote a really good piece for us on SweetSports.com about this trade. If you want to go to SweetSports.com and check it out and get his full analysis. But uh, I, I do want to swing back to you, Jeremy. Uh, Kels mentioned having good offensive rebounders to go with a guy like Jennings. Obviously, that's nice to have. But how do you feel like Josh Smith, Brandon Jennings, and then they've obviously got a, a good stable of young big men. Uh, how do you kind of see the minutes being doled out on this team? It just seems like an awkward mix, doesn't it? I mean, to some extent, yes. But, I mean, Drummond, if you break down the actual math of it, it's 48 minutes at center and 48 minutes at power forward. And I think I might have mentioned this on a, on a previous show. You did. But that would be 32 minutes each. And I yeah. don't think Drummond is going to play 32 minutes. He's probably going to play closer to, like, 24, 26. Because, like, mm-hmm. for, for all the physical talent he has, there are, like, still a lot of mental limitations. He doesn't totally get um, how to rotate on defense. He's out of place a lot. He's so athletic that sometimes it doesn't matter, but smart teams can sort of exploit that. So it's better mm-hmm. to keep his minutes down to, know, to not, not expose some of his weaknesses. So, you know, a lot of the time it's going to be just the three of those guys rotating through at four mm-hmm. and five, and it's not going to be that many minutes for Smith at small forward. Um, but to go with what Kel said, like if you take a lot of Josh Smith's long two-point shots, and just turn them into threes, and it turns out he's shooting more threes than he was before, that's actually not a bad thing. He'll end up scoring more efficiently. The key is that uh-huh. he takes a lot of long twos that he doesn't twos, make, and those yeah. are the worst shots. Um, so, I mean, if he, if he starts playing a small forward more, the common idea would be that he, a lot of those long twos would turn into threes, and that's not that's not a bad thing. That would actually be better for him. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in terms of the Pistons as a team, I think the key to this trade, which I actually didn't write about, but it just dawned on me a couple of days ago, is that, you know, they were fighting for one of those last playoff spots with Milwaukee. And yeah. now this trade makes them better in the short term and Milwaukee worse in the short term. So that's one less team that they have to compete with for one of those playoff spots. At this point, it's really just down to them and Cleveland and Washington. Um, and depending, like, I, I'm higher on Atlanta than most. I think they're firmly in the sixth seed. Um, mm-hmm. So those last two spots, I think it's going to be those three teams competing for them. And after this trade, it, it seems like Detroit in the short term has the best run at one of those spots. I think Washington and Cleveland will probably leapfrog them in the future because they have better young players. Uh, yeah. But for this season specifically, I think Detroit's going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what a lot of people are saying. And, you know, Cleveland obviously is really, really intriguing with Kyrie Irving coming along and, and what they're trying to build out there. Milwaukee, they get Brandon Knight, who's a young guy, and really the best thing you can say about him is he's still young. He's got to get better at some point, right? Uh, 
we'll uh, we'll continue talking about young point guards, and I want to go to uh, another guy you actually wrote about a lot, Jeremy, and that's John Wall uh, on his $80 million, well, it was a five-year, $80 million extension he signed uh, out with Washington. Uh, the Wizards kind of had to miss this move to lock up a, a young, supposedly budding star uh, that they think they can build around for the future to kind of keep people happy. Uh, Kells, uh, I want to go to you. I know you're a college guy. I know you remember how awesome John Wall and how fun he was to watch when he was at Kentucky. Uh, what do you make of this extension, and, and is it a move they kind of had to make? Um, I think, Joe, you could look at it as a move that they kind of had to make, but I think it's kind of a stupid move, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. I think I just, I don't think that Wall has proven himself yet in the NBA and with the injuries yeah. and everything. Um, that he's going to be, like, one of the better point guards in the league that we've seen. And I think yeah. he hasn't ascended to that level of, you know, obviously of a Stephen Curry or even of some some other guys, uh, even a Drew Holiday, like that kind of a level of a player mm-hmm. where he's played that well that he's proven that he can kind of lead a team into the playoffs or done really anything in the league. I mean, he hasn't really gotten to that point yet. And whether it's injuries or whether it's bad teammates, I just think, like, wasting that much money – on him, I don't think that's a good move for them. I think they probably should have, you know, if they couldn't sign him, I think that's fine. Let him walk. I don't think that hurts them that much when you take a look at wins and losses. I think they need mm-hmm. another guy who they can build around for the future who can maybe get them back into the playoffs and get them back into that upper echelon in that Eastern Conference. Yeah, that's certainly fair enough. And I, and I guess you could make the case that he hasn't actually done a whole lot to merit it. But, but he's a guy people get excited about, and I feel like, Sometimes in the NBA, you, you need that just to bring uh, just to bring people into the building. But uh, you know, John Wall's kind of an anomaly to me. Uh, obviously, mega talented. And Jeremy, I'll, I'll let you kind of chime in on this. Is this a move they had to make, and is it ultimately a, a smart decision for them? Um, I think it's a move they had to make because they would have ended up giving him max money next summer anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of what of you know, unless he just got injured in the first game of the season and missed the entire season or just played like absolute crap all season, he yeah. would probably get a max deal in restricted free agency and they would be forced to match it. They're not yeah. going to let him walk. I don't think that that's a realistic possibility at all. Um, so it, it, it comes down to the – I think the difference is the fifth year. Like, they, he only mm-hmm. would have gotten four years in restricted free agency. They gave, they gave him a fifth guaranteed year. So that's really the only squabbling point that you don't want to make a five-year commitment to him if you think the injuries will keep recurring. Um, like he's missed missed 30 odd games last year and missed 13 more in his rookie season. Um, but in terms of his performance, I mean, I think you can justify Max Deal because like they were a 500 team with him in the lineup last year as opposed to like five and 28 without him. They were just absolutely terrible when he didn't play. Um, but when he did play, they were you know pro-rated, they were a playoff team. Um, yeah. And compared to, like, the other point guards in the league, he's definitely making more than Stephen Curry, who he isn't better than. Um, yeah. he's, he's being paid like he's Derrick Rose or Russell Westbrook. He's not as good as them, obviously. Um, but I think he's definitely better than Drew Holiday and Ty Lawson and, and those, like, that caliber of point guard. I think he's a step above them um, just because of what he brings defensively, which is um, you don't hear a lot about it. You mostly hear how he's not a good shooter, but he's a really yeah. locked down defensive point guard because he's so big and so long. Um, so th- that's an area where I think he's going to keep improving too. 
so in, in terms of his value going forward, I definitely think he's worth the max deal. The only question is whether they thought he was worth the fifth year. Um, yeah. If they thought they were going to give him a max deal anyway next year, they might as well just do it now. Yeah, all, all fair points. And like I said, John, I don't really know what to think about the guy. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, he's, I think he's got the talent to be one of the top four or five point guards in the league, but we'll see. Like you mentioned, not a great shooter, not an efficient scorer, but man, they're Athletically and size-wise and strength-wise, the guy the guy just has the total package of everything you would want in a point guard. Uh, we'll move on. We'll do some quick hitters. Just kind of want to get like 10 seconds of your thoughts on each of these because I do not care about these signings. First of all, Gerald Henderson re-ups with Charlotte and blah, you know. Uh, Gerald Henderson, I'm not too fond of the guy. I don't think anybody's too fond of the guy at this point. Jerry what what do you make of them bringing him back? And, I mean, for the Bobcats, what do they need to do at some point to kind of take the next step? And I, for the next step for them is just not being one of the two worst teams in the league. Yeah, I mean, it's just acquiring talent. And I think Hender, I think Henderson's better than you than you give him credit for. Um, he's a pretty good defensive player, and his jump shot is still improving. So he has the potential to be one of those 3-and-D-type wingmen mm-hmm. that have become pretty valuable in the league. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think he's a good fit for Charlotte just because that type yeah. of player isn't valuable for them. I think he'd be better off on a, you know, a playoff caliber team. Um, yeah. But it was a it was a three-year deal, and the third year is a player option, so it really seems like he's lining up to um, sign with a better team after those three years. Um, you know, it, it's sort of a neutral move, but I think uh, the the money that he got, he got $18 million for the three years. I think that's pretty indicative of the type of yeah. player he can be. Yeah, and like you mentioned, he's one of those guys that doesn't have a lot of value for a bad team, and he got re-signed by a real bad team. So uh, it just it kind of boggles boggles my mind, but we'll see. I everything Charlotte does baffles me. But uh, Kels, I'm going to give you a different guy. Mike Miller signed with Memphis. Uh, interesting. He obviously had uh, some nice stretches of playoffs. Uh, what do you think he has left, and uh, can he help Memphis maybe go a little further in the playoffs than they have recently? Oh, uh, well, he's definitely going to improve these hairstyles on that team. I know that. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know how much he has left. I think, like, he was pretty pretty terrible last season. And uh, I think if he gives them, like, what he was when he was with them before, I think that would be great for them. And they definitely needed a shooter because um, they were, were one of the worst, you know, perimeter shooting teams, perimeter offensive teams in the NBA. And that was definitely a huge uh, weakness for them. So if he can come back and uh, – give them a little bit more of what he used to give them, I think that'd be great for them, and that might actually help them take the next step. But I'm not really expecting that out of Mike Miller at this point in his career. Yeah, obviously getting a little bit long in the tooth, but he did provide – he had a couple memorable uh, three-point shooting sprees uh, in the NBA Finals. Obviously a guy that's a pure shooter when he gets hot can can make any team – he's another one of those guys that can make a – a good team, really good, or a really good team, great, but I, I'm not so sure he helps a team that's, you know, pretty good or a team that, you know, is middling, things like that. Guys, last question, and you know I love to bring a little football in. I'm a football guy. Des Bryant said uh, over the weekend that LeBron James would, quote, be a beast in the NFL. Uh, I've written about this a little bit before. So if you were a, an NFL talent scout, and you were taking LeBron at the Combine, and boy, would I love to see what LeBron could do at the NFL Combine. I think that would just be great. And, and that's why I think this conversation is so fun, because I think with the NFL we have, like, certain times and certain jumping and certain, you know, strengths and everything that we assign to different positions. 
Uh, Kels, I'll let you get first crack at this. If you're an NFL talent scout and you get LeBron James, you draft him, first overall pick, but he's never played football. Obviously, he has played football in high school. But let's say he's never played football. What position are you putting him at and who do you think he could be? Uh, I think I think he could be a tight end or a wide receiver, and uh, I think his talent would be wasted in the NFL, Joe. I think uh, <laughs> the NFL's got a lot of a lot of big, fast, strong guys, and uh, he'd be a good player. Like he'd be maybe I think his ceiling might be Antonio Gates that kind of level, but uh, I think it's pretty high ceiling. <laughs> true. I mean, yes. I mean, he'd be a really good player, but he wouldn't be one of the faces of the NFL. And I'm mm-hmm. definitely glad, although I kind of wish now that he chose football so that I could still <laughs> not have to argue the MJ LeBron uh, argument every time on the show. But I yeah, think his talents would be wasted. I think his, his talents are uh, fit him very well for basketball. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody could argue that. But, uh, Jeremy, if you have LeBron James, where, where are you putting him? Um, I mean, that's the wide receiver tight end seems to be the popular answer. Um, so I'll go in a different direction. I think he would be a really dominant stand-up defensive end outside linebacker type player. Uh, if you look back to like what Sean Merriman did that one season in uh, in San Diego, um, when he had you know you know a dozen at least sacks in like you know the first eight games of the season, um, I think he could be that type of force just because he's so big and strong and long, and it would be so difficult to block him because his arms are so much longer than everybody else's. Um, I think he would really wreak havoc as a as a defensive end. Yeah, okay, LeBron is, uh, I think he's the best athlete in the world, total all-around athlete, just everything he can do, mixed with that, you know, that combination of size, strength, speed, everything like that. Uh, When you look at him, I I really think he could pretty much play every position. You know, you're right about, as a pass rusher, his length, his explosive first step, he's he's really strong, he's really quick-filled. Quarterback, I mean, is he, would he really be any worse than a guy like, Colin Kaepernick, who could just run all over the place and is big and strong. I mean, I think he'd be better than Tim Tebow. So I think you'd have him at quarterback, I think at tight end. Jimmy Jimmy Graham, who's one of the best pass-catching tight ends in the league, was a pretty bad college basketball player in Miami. I have to think LeBron James is a little more athletic uh, and a little stronger than him. At receiver, is he, you know, is he a bigger, stronger, faster Plaxico Burris? He's something along those lines. Maybe, you know, he's a tall Randy Moss. We don't – we don't actually – I mean, I don't actually know what his 40 time would be and things like that, but uh, the the basic thing I'm trying to get at is that I, I think LeBron James, whatever position – you know, what position would you put him at? Whatever position he wants to play, because I, I think he'd be a, a transcendent talent at pretty much every position. Uh, and with that, we will we will leave you with those thoughts, and if you want, you can send us, uh, send us some tweets, things like that, about where you would put LeBron James. Uh, that's all the time we have for you on this edition of Taking You to School. For Jeremy Conlon and Kels Dayton, I'm Joe Perello. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.